our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Welcome back to our Deepest Fear podcast with your host, Rome Zah, or Roman Zerodansky, or Billy Bobby, whatever you want to call me. Just make sure you listen. Today, I'm here with somebody that made a huge impact on my life in my early 20s. He is a total badass, and I thought my whole life that badasses had to be criminal. And when I met this man, he was a badass, and he was actually... Uh, on the light side. He's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He is a strength and conditioning coach. At some point, he was a celebrity fitness coach. He's a martial artist, a boxer, an outdoorsman, a bow hunter. Uh, he competes in tactical shooting competitions like Mammoth Sniper, and he likes to fix his cars. Uh, he, he's, a va- he's a veteran of the baddest outfit in the U.S. Army, the 82nd Airborne Division. And he's a clockwork jitsu black belt. And those, like, I've met some of those versions, Clay. His name is Clay Burwell. So oh, thank you. let's welcome him. I've met some of those versions, but I've never met Clay the father. I've never uh, met even Clay the black belt. I've met Clay the purple belt. So right. a lot yes, has changed. A lot <clears throat> has changed since we last spoke. How are you? What's good? What's new? Man, uh, life is beautiful. I've moved from New York City where I lived uh, for 13 years and I uh, met my wife there in uh, 2006 and uh, opened my gym up uh, 2007, my strength and conditioning facility. And then uh, we stayed in business in New York for five and a half years before I'd had enough of that and uh, moved to South Carolina in 2012. And that was about the last time Probably you and I had probably seen each other was sometime around that time frame and uh, moved down here as a purple belt into a town that I didn't know anyone in and uh, restarted my whole career over again from zero. And uh, life's been beautiful. I had two kids, like you had told your uh, listeners. Um, I'm a father of two boys, uh, Rudy and Jackson. Rudy is six going on seven. Jackson turns five in two weeks. So, uh, you know, I'm a new father, but I'm an old man. I'm 44 years old, so I didn't get started in the father game until late. And uh, life is beautiful. I love being a father, and uh, I still love my job, and I still love life like always. And uh, I'm always pedaling the metal, doing all those aforementioned things and uh, and more. Um, but it's a real honor to be here, Rome, and I appreciate you reaching out to me and having me come on. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, you are one of the coolest people that I've ever met. And it would be a disservice. I don't know about that. 
I mean, I'm serious. I, bro, I meet a lot of people. And you are definitely one of the coolest people I've ever met. Uh, just like, you're just like a, you're like a savage and yet a genuinely nice person, but you really know how to turn it on. Like, I remember when we used to train, you used to turn that shit on and it was, it was incredible. But then when you would like take a shower, take off your gi, you were just like the nicest guy in the world. Well, thank you, man. Well, I think a lot of that would come, uh, you know, real, real, real people who really can take care of themselves and are martial artists like yourself. I mean, let's not get it, get it twisted. You're a super sweet guy also, but if somebody messed with you, they tie them in a knot in 20 seconds or less. And, uh, just because somebody's kind and sweet and, uh, uh, generous and has manners, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. In fact, a lot, you know, if you meet people who've served time in prison, real, you know, scary individuals, they really value respect like that. They value people who have manners and, uh, and, and are just nice, you know, <laughs> so yeah. the two-edged sword, right? You see yeah. a lot of it, but you don't see enough of it. I don't like guys who are, uh, who, who represent the art of jujitsu in a bad way. You know, I always want to be the nicest guy in line at the store, the most, you know, most manners and I don't know, just uh, let's be nice for once. The world's, the world's got enough assholes in it. Don't you think? For sure. For what, sure. man. Wait, what were you like as a kid growing up? Uh, as a kid growing up, um, I grew up uh, in the South. My mom is from the South and uh, my father stepped out of my life when I was uh, probably 18 months old or right after my little brother was born. And uh, never came back and never paid child support. And my mother was destitute, no college education and uh, three kids. And I grew up, you know, at some points in my life, completely as poor as you could ever see in any part of America. So, you know, there's a difference. You grew up in Russia, you know, but still, man, it's not easy to grow up, you know, for, for some of your formative years and not have food to eat in the house and be you know, your mom's running out of gas in the car and you're walking on the highway with a gas can and some quarters and you pay for your milk money at school with pennies, 200 pennies a week, counting them out on the desk of a teacher. And, you know, that's, you know, that, that, that was a part of it. And then my mother remarried and moved me to New Jersey. And, um, that was a bit different. That's where life got a, its own different type of toughness. Life was tough as a, as a kid growing up without a father up to about age eight. But um, life was also beautiful. I was in the South. I was living at my grandparents at some of the times. And my grandfather helped and raised me. He was a very old school man. And um, though I didn't have a father, I had a wonderful grandfather, a wonderful grandmother, and a tough old school mom. And I'm, bl I'm blessed to have all of it. You know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm grateful that I had the childhood I had. It was very hard at times. Well, after I moved to New Jersey, I was, a, I was a straight A student. I was in the gifted and talented program. I was reading at an advanced age, very young. And <clears throat> I don't know, just uh, moved to New Jersey. And I'll never forget the first day of school. It was third, third grade. I was halfway through the school year when I moved there. And uh, when we first moved to New Jersey, my mom, we lived in Seaside Heights, not too far from Tom the Blast. And uh, we lived in a hotel, a disgusting, decrepit hotel on the beach. But we moved there in the winter. And we were like the only people staying in this dirty, cigarette-stinking old hotel. And my stepfather did not even come to visit us for like 
three months while we lived in New Jersey. We were just holed up in some rat stinking hotel. And my mom would cart my ass like an hour up, you know, north from there to where we were going to live and uh, took me to school. And the first class I was in, I remember the teacher asked a question. It was a math question. The answer was 10. And I raised my hand like a good student. I had not opened my mouth yet that day. And the, t- the answer was 10. And I said, 10. <laughs> and everybody laughed. Like, what the hell did he fucking say? 10. <laughs> like, instantly bullied, instantly realized that I was from some backwards ass place. And I was instantly like, different from all these other kids they're wearing air jordans you know they're they're white kids from new jersey they're they're always you know they're dressed up they've got slicked up hair and uh all these kids so i get beat up in the playground i get thrown in a mud puddle on my first day that gets sent to the nurse's office is completely covered in mud and uh, my mom has to drive back and bring me a change of clothes so i didn't know how to fight then but it wasn't long before the guy you know now <laughs> came out from that. <laughs> he didn't get pushed in mud puddles for too long. Um, so childhood was weird, man. It was I, I could write a, a freaking long novel about my childhood. I wound up uh, when my stepfather came around. He was uh, unbelievably abusive and verbally abusive and emotionally abusive and at times even physically abusive. And... Uh, That's like a real hard thing to kind of come from when you don't feel safe at home and you don't feel safe at school. It's a it's a hard thing. And me, you and I, we always related, Rome, because there was a side of that to your childhood, too. Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, you had good parents, but, you know, growing up in Brooklyn, growing up where you grew up overseas in Europe, that was hard, man. So anyways, back to me getting my ass kicked inside out. Um, you know, just elementary school whoopings, you know, once and then eventually I fought back. And then like in, in middle school years, I started to become more of a banger. I started to learn how to that you didn't have to eat a punch. You could actually move your head out of the way of them. I didn't have a father to teach me how to fight. I had to ball my fists up and fight. You know what I mean? And uh, maybe I was watching 80s action movies. <laughs> so anyways, uh, I got to be more of a brawler in my <clears throat> middle school years some drag out fights too, like some long ones and a lot of fights where we would meet after school and uh, challenge somebody to a fight in a park or they challenge you and you'd meet them in a park and then 150 kids would show up on BMX bikes (laughs) and there'd be a circle opened up in the middle and you'd walk in there and the kid didn't show up and he ain't showing up. He ain't showing up. And then you look up and you see the kid walking and he's cracking his knuckles and they're like, Oh, it's going to be on. And you know, this is like bare knuckle on concrete. Okay, as grown men, we think about this bare knuckle on concrete, kicks with shoes onto the face, anything goes, right? Okay, aside from like hitting in the balls, I think that was still like a no-go in my generation. I don't remember anyone doing that or biting, but uh, that was kind of the middle school years. And uh, then I went to a boxing gym. Somehow, some way, I wound up in a boxing gym in Powell Township, New Jersey. And uh, my coach's name was uh bob van sickle um i think i'm a i think i'm a tough kid but then um uh, i get jumped at a party by like four dudes i'm like 15 years old and uh i get jumped by four grown-ass adults bro i'm saying 23 22 years old one of these dudes won a tough man competition in florida one of these dudes is a diamond gloves boxer a golden gloves boxer and is on steroids and like 250 pounds another dude is like a skate rack punk 
like 205 and like 62 with leg tats and shit 1991 you know what i mean <laughs> scumbag and then the fourth one was the kid who i had got the fucking best of and punk ass had to have his friends jump in but he and I, the, the, the beginning of this fight was we were standing around a fire pit behind some house at a party and he had said some words i said some words he was made the mistake of sitting in a fucking lawn chair when i cracked him in the face and knocked him out of it <laughs> and i climbed up onto the mount position and then his friends jumped me and uh, as I was coming up off the ground, I remember uh, like just just swinging wildly, bro, like a fucking Wolverine being attacked by coyotes. OK, it's not going to be easy for you. I was coming up off the ground. I was elbowing and swinging and punching back and I was eating them to the face and hitting the deck. And I tried running and I got foot swept from behind and I tried to break my fall and I broke my wrist in three places. Then I was covering my face up as I got kicked in the face repeatedly over and over. But I fucking grown men, bro. I'm talking about a total weight of these guys for like 800 pounds against my 140. 140. 140 at most at the time. So, That's crazy. That's like fighting a gorilla. But I went down like a fucking warrior. I mean, my nose was totally broken, bro. I'm telling you, you've been seeing a UFC fight where someone got mangled this bad. Okay? And my shirt was completely covered in blood and grass stains and beer and my friends were upstairs at the top floor of this like two-story house doing bong hits in this kid's room and they heard what happened and by the time they came down i was just like a, a bloody mess bro like i needed icu no fucking question okay mm -hmm. and i go i wander back into this house party and this kid's mom had this big house that was like in the middle of nowhere and uh she let the kids hang out obviously they were upstairs crushing bong hits and he outside with a kegger. And then uh, I come in and I'm fucking mangled, like face hanging off, my wrist broken, like I said, three places, nose broken, got my eye sockets are all swollen shut practically. And uh, <laughs> I look up and the kid's mom on their dirty wooden table doing a line of coke. <laughs> and she gets up and gives me Excedrin. <laughs> and I've never looked at Excedrin the same. <laughs> and I passed wow. out of the couch drunk. So that was a terrible beating. And then like, Six months later, the Golden Gloves kid who will be unnamed, I don't want to call any names out because he became a good friend of mine. And he took me to this jet. He he stopped by the house and was like, yeah, that was pretty fucking hard, bro. I'm real sorry about what happened. I was drunk. I was like, yeah, man, that was fucking pussy shit. He was like, yeah, but I was impressed at how fucking tough you were. You have more fucking balls than most men. I was like, well, thanks, dude. But you were fucking about to kill me. What do you expect? Next thing you know, he's like, well, my dad's the head coach at the police athletic league. Did you ever think about boxing? I was like, yeah, I've always wanted to box. And uh, he's like, all right, bet. He's like, I'll come by your house tomorrow at 5 o'clock to pick you up. No, 4.45. Practice begins at 5. Goes till 7.30. All right. <laughs> and uh, the next day, he drives over to my house. He's got this piece of shit station wagon with the muffler hanging off the back. And the whole backseat of it's just like full of muscle and fitness magazines. <laughs> a nightstick, uh, protein powder. And uh, this dude's just a complete gorilla, just a giant Irish gorilla street fighter. And uh, he carries me over to the gym and uh, I walk in. It's a dirty brick building, nondescript, no windows, um, parking lot. The windows are blocked up with concrete. There's one door around the back. You can hear inside the typical sound. You know, a, a speed bag thumping, jump ropes whacking, and, a, and a, a timer bell going off. You know, we're at the boxing gym. 
open the door and uh, what do I see? Just this terrible smell of boxing ring covered, you know, in dirty stains of blood. And, and there's a big tractor tire in the corner with kids bouncing up and down on it, strengthening their calves. And uh, you just hear these thunderous ass left hooks wrecking into these bags and these scrawny, sweaty, deprived young men staring at me. And there's sparring going on and dudes are getting cracked in the face. And you know you're in a legit thing. Like you couldn't find a boxing gym. There was no internet in New Jersey. There was, no, there was none of this at this time. You didn't know where these things were. They existed and you didn't know because you weren't part of that world. You could live two miles from it all your life and never know it was there. And the head coach's name was Bob Van Sickle, inducted into the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame. Uh, amazing coach, had kids that competed at the national level, the international level, like Kazakhstan, little, these scrawny killers I'm staring at in this room. And uh, so I go over to meet Bob, shake his hand. He's got a mustache. He's got a bald head, thick glasses. He's literally has a pocket protector in with pens in it. Um, he's kind of paunchy. He's highly intelligent. He doesn't have a flattened nose and he's a white guy. And most of the people in this room are white and I'm white. So that's okay. <clears throat> I didn't expect that. So anyways, um, I give him my waiver. Somehow I got the waiver signed from my mom already and uh, gave him my $10. He goes over to a, a file cabinet, opens the bottom one, pulls out a, hand, a pack of ringside hand wraps and a mouthpiece that has some gel that you put in it. So I make the mouthpiece and then uh, I'm waiting for him. I'm like, yeah, I made the mouthpiece. This thing tastes like complete shit. And he walks over. He takes me over to this spit covered mirror that's never been washed ever and uh, stands me up in a conventional boxing stance. Teaches me how to throw a left jab, a straight right, and then a left hook. And I probably smelled like Newports at the time. So he told me as a cue to put out a cigarette with my lead foot when I throw the hook. So I was like, all right, put out a cigarette when I throw the hook, <laughs> you know, twist your hips into it. And he spent about two minutes working with me on that technique. He wrapped my hands like he was, could have given a fuck less. And uh, they were practically falling off of my fingers as he wrapped them. And he said, all right, go ahead and work on that. And he just walked away. And um, so I come on, I'm, I'm, completely into this place i'm there for two and a half hours that night i'm trying to work on these things no one's talking to me and i'm just hitting the bag and i totally realized rome that any one of these kids in this room if you ate one of these left hooks to the head your fucking brain is going to explode these are the real tough guys none of these kids i've been hanging out with or thought they were tough or thought that they were fighters were real fighters these are trained fighters there's a big freaking difference yeah. And uh, I'm addicted. Okay. I want to be a part of this. I want to fucking smash heavy bags. I want to bloody some noses and I want to test myself against one of these real dudes. I want to make it to the point where the, the coach respects me and whatever this, this man land is, I want to be a part of it. Uh, Hot 97 was piped in on just like a ratty old stereo with like rabbit ear antennas. So I go back there every night, Rome, for two and a half hours from five to seven thirty every night. I shit you not for five and a half, six weeks. And Bob's walking through 
and he's passing out T-shirts to all of his team fighters, all the guys he's got in the ring hitting pads, all the guys he's got uh, sparring, everybody he's talking to. Six weeks has passed. He hasn't even fucking said hello to me once. He hasn't offered a cue or any help whatsoever. It's as if I don't exist. And he's walking through and he's passing out T-shirts that say police athletic league boxing team, blah, blah, blah. It's fucking badass. We love T-shirts, don't we? Still. <laughs> right? And he's coming 100%. through with that box of T-shirts. He's passing them out to all his fighters and he skips past me. And he keeps passing the T-shirts off. I said, uh, hey, Bob. He turns around and he goes, yeah, Clay. Like right away, he knew my name. I said, been coming for six weeks, Bob. Haven't missed one workout. That's good, right? He's like, yeah, that's good, Clay. Boom, throws me a T-shirt. He's like, get suited up. Get in the ring. You're going to move around today with Billy. I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right. Went into the office, changed into sparring gear, put my mouthpiece in, and did like four fucking rounds with a silver gloves uh, medalist. Top three, 14-year-old in the nation. His name was Billy Suha. And he and I became uh, buddies and sparring partners from then on. But he was the first person I ever sparred with. Billy Suha, S-U-H-A. I wonder where he is today. Uh, he was a gentleman. We, you know, we touch gloves before we spar. We touch gloves when we end. And uh, Bob was just such an incredible figure in my life. Uh, he never knew this, how much just being a part of that, it, it really just, it just changed me, made me a better person. Uh, I quit smoking cigarettes that first night. When I walked out of that gym, uh, I crunched up the Newports, tossed them and never smoked them again. But yeah, Bob Van Sickle and uh, his other coach, Fred, and all the other men at the Howell Township Police Athletic League, they were the first men to really spend any time with me whatsoever my whole childhood. I never wow. had someone teach me how to throw a ball. You know, none of that. That was pretty deep. Incredible, bro. Incredible. I mean, realistically, like, who knows, right? Who knows how life turns out, but like, Maybe it was better off that nobody taught you how to throw a punch. Most of these fucking dads can't fight anyway. So what the fuck would they be teaching? Right. Exactly. I learned how to throw a punch from a legit badass. And I still teach people how to throw it today. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just unbelievably selfless. I want to say that again. He charged me $10. I didn't give a fuck about the $10. He lost $10 a second. He pulled out a pack of hand wraps and a mouthpiece. He was already in the hole. You know what I mean? He never asked for that $10 every month again, ever, never once, never once did he. That man showed up at that police athletic league, that dingy, smelly, shitty gym. These people today are so spoiled. They have no idea what it is to be a hungry fighter and a hungry trainer and know what it means, you know, and it was just so selfless, so freaking selfless. He never said, Clay, I want you to be a good kid. I want you to get good grades. I want you to stop being an asshole. He never said that. He never said that. He never said anything like that. He just did what he did. And that was enough. I mean, I think that a, a note for us as men is we don't have to overachieve as fathers too much. Even just being there. Do you know what I mean? Standing there in front of me and holding up a set of mitts and teaching me how to bob and weave and throw a left hook. God, man, that was the, that was the best five minutes of my life. 
that was that was that was that was pivotal about age 16 and then i started to sort of turn my shit around a little bit so at that point in my life you know i didn't really talk about this but i ran with the wrong crowd i had you know long fucking heavy metal hair i was you know just breaking any law that i wanted to and uh getting arrested being on probation and being a shithead you know getting bad grades in school all those other things but when i started boxing when i discovered martial arts and when i had some level of a, a role model whatever a male figure in my life immediately turned around got more or less passing grades and graduated high school so that was you know the the first three quarters of my childhood the next quarter of my childhood is as we know age 18 to say 23 for a man i don't think most people realize that especially males humans we don't fully mature until we're in our early 20s so those years of 18 to 23 are extremely formative okay think about liberal institutions in america today they know full damn well these adults are still forming that like cerebral cortex their brains aren't totally there yet you're still a young man you're still growing my last quarter of childhood was spent in the United States Army, and that was also a blessing room. I met some incredible men there, too. It was an honor to be in their presence and wear that uniform and uh, be their soldier. I don't know how everyone else's experience in the military is, but mine was freaking incredible. And I was, and again, in some perfect storm where uh, I show up. In the, in the army and I have the best drill sergeants that's ever been drill sergeants. And then I go to a unit that has a first sergeant who was Delta Force. Wow. So I'm 18 years old, you know, you could have any of these, you know, a first sergeant controls your company, right? So I was in Bravo company and we had a hundred, hundred soldiers and your first sergeant is the most ranking non-commissioned officer. And he's the man who's running the show. And my first sergeant, okay, was Delta Force. Okay, I don't even want to drop his name on the damn podcast. Okay, he's in another one who's a, a Hall of Fame of sorts. He's in the non-commissioned officers Hall of Fame in the United States Army. When I look him up, there's very little information you could find on this guy online. But those of us who serve with him, we all knew that Top, he had it all. Top had served at the highest levels of special operations his entire career. And somehow, some way. He got sent down to the 82nd Airborne to be a first sergeant for a couple of years before going back to special ops. This guy was at the highest levels, I want to say that again, of special operations. He was not just Ranger Tab. He was not just a Special Forces Green Beret. He was selected from that pool to become Delta Force. And he was in Delta Force for the almost the entirety of its existence at that point through the 80s. And... Uh, he was a bad motherfucker and uh, you didn't fuck with this dude. And what an honor to have that as the person I looked up to. And I don't want to take any of the, any of the honor away from the other men on my, uh, you know, chain of command in the army. I had others that were great too, exceptional. And um, there I was this shit eating 19 year old from New Jersey who had just, you know, quit his job pumping gas and just gotten off probation and I was in the army and lo and behold, I was turning my life around bit by bit and had these incredible drill sergeants that inspired me to be great. And uh, by the time I graduated from AIT, I was an honor grad. And then I went to the 82nd after I graduated airborne school 
and got put in this company with this bad motherfucker, Delta Force, and all these other sergeants that were just exceptional. And, you know, I'm 19 years old. It's like this perfect storm. So did that. It was an honor. You know, that's that was kind of how I finished out my childhood. So it might have been wild and crazy and without any kind of male role model whatsoever. And then I definitely did have it uh, finishing, you know, growing up there. Yeah. Sorry to ramble on, man. No, no, it's perfect, actually. Uh, I apologize to your listeners. No, no, it's perfect. This is what they're here for. They're here to listen to incredible stories, right? So, well, I got them. So there's just, you know, if they stretch a little long, we we talk about, you know, stories. So we're out. (laughs) All all good, bro. So something that comes up for me, if I have your permission to share, is even though you didn't have a role model, uh, the quote that comes up for me is you are the one that you have been waiting for. Okay. So you grew into being that role model that like you were a role model for me in a lot of ways. And I'm sure you're a role model for a lot of other uh, men that cross your path and uh, almost like the, the end result of a boy named Sue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, man, it was, it it was awesome. That's such a blessing. And, and, you know, it could have turned out so wrong. Anyone who knew me as a, as a teenager growing up, uh, I bet you if you ask teachers, they'd say, ah, I'm surprised he's even alive. Not, I, would, I wouldn't have been shocked. Same, same. Dead or, yeah, same. Dead, dead. He's definitely the guy who went to jail. And uh, he's definitely the guy who, who uh, you know, has face tattoos and, and a long criminal rap sheet for all kinds of horrible things. Like, no, nah, man, I was a 13-year-old kid who got busted for stealing a Judas Priest t-shirt. Fuck you. And I stole it because that bitch saw me get excited that it was on the half off rack. And when I went up to pay for it, she all of a sudden wanted to make it full price. So I, I stole that shirt. I'd steal that shirt from her again. Only this time I'd run. <laughs> I love you it. Know? So like, you know, so just so, you know, and, and in life I've always like, I, I always give people, uh, I don't let anybody tell me how to fucking judge somebody, not the color of your skin, not even your background. If you tell me someone's like, Hey man, sorry to tell you. Uh, I, I did. I used to sell cocaine and I went to jail for it. If someone told me that, and I know one of my best friends is that backstory, I don't give a shit. I will judge you at face value. You did the crime. Did you do the time? He was like, yup. Guess what? I said, I don't give a fuck. I said, I was this guy's manager. I said, I'm making you my, my assistant manager. He was like, really? I said, yeah, man. I said, that's in the past, bro. I can see you're trying to put it in the past and I want to help you. And I think you'd make a great assistant manager. That dude went on to run his own gym, buy a house, get married, have two kids. Fuck yeah, man. You know, you judge people and you're wrong. Like judge, you know, yeah. make your own judgments. And listen, I'm a security guard. I'm a bouncer. I'm a bodyguard. I travel the world as a bodyguard. I can read people, but also I give you the chance to, you know what I mean? Even homeless people, whatever it is, man, you know, there's a story. Also, and if someone's a total piece of shit, sometimes you need to think, wow, you must have had a really bad day or a childhood or, or something. life yeah or life i kind of feel sorry for you yeah you know, I'm a little more human as a father now fatherhood has made me look at uh people who i maybe at one point uh scoffed and now i think oh that's somebody's child you know that that was that little that person was sitting in somebody's lap getting bounced on their knee and making granddad real happy or maybe so, not which is even crazier not. right exactly yeah. which is even which is even more horrible yeah so 
they like compassion is definitely a form of uh, deep maturity for sure for sure put yourself last you know i taught a i taught a self-defense seminar to a wonderful uh young lady today and i had an assistant come in to to help me teach it and she paid me afterwards and uh when she left i took all of the money and i gave it to my assistant why because i'm grateful I'll make more money. I don't give a shit. He was like, whoa, are you serious? I was like, yeah, dude, take it. Take it. You deserve it. Take it. You I know? Love it. Yeah, dude, for sure. Like, and, and, and I got that gig last week, man. A, a, a company I bought a, a pair of shoes from sent me an extra pair of shoes in the mail. And I was like, whoa, what did this extra pair of shoes come from? I could keep them. All right. Or I could call them up. And I called them up and said, you sent me shoes. They said, we didn't charge you for it. I said, I'm sending them back. They said, are you sure? You don't have to. I said, I'm sending them back. You're a great company. And they said, thank you. And then literally five minutes later, the phone rings and this girl wants to do a self-defense seminar. And I pitch her the money, which is way more worth than what the shoes were. And she said, yes. And that I was that. It. it took five minutes. You know, do good and good comes around. Most of the time, sometimes you get shit on. Well, that's part of the process. That's it. That's it. Maybe sometimes, Maybe sometimes we need it. <laughs> That's right. Maybe we weren't as good as we thought we were. Uh, so, all right. So I met you through jujitsu. When, when did you fall in love with jujitsu? I mean, to, so just, just like, uh, like a little preframe, uh, clay is a black belt in Brazilian jujitsu. For those of you that are listening, it is not like Taekwondo on average. It takes anywhere from eight to maybe 13 years or more yeah. to get mm-hmm. your black belt. Um, yep. it's, it's very intense. It's probably one of the top five most uh, intense sports in the world and probably the number one most contact sport in the world uh, yeah. with the duration of time you spend in contact with another human being. I don't think there's any other sport. So he is a black belt at jiu-jitsu. And when I met him, I believe you were a blue belt. Why, what made you stick around? Like what, like what was the thing that you fell in love with? Um my friends for sure i mean of course i always love the art but if i didn't love who i was getting to to make the art with then i wouldn't have stuck with it there are gyms that were uh you know awesome schools bro new york city right 2006 yeah. 2007 is when i came back to it the first time i touched jujitsu i was working at a gas station in new jersey before i joined the army i was thinking about joining the army and i was pumping gas i just graduated high school no community college didn't even take the sats i'm working at a gas station dude Schools 18 fools, years old bro. don't even own a car degenerate and uh this honda crx pulls up and uh, dude gets out, stout guy wearing black t-shirt that says uh, Filipino martial arts. And it's got like the triangle, you know, all the Filipino martial arts shirts, mm-hmm. always got the triangle. And on the back, it says uh, Arnis Escrima and, uh, you know, some kind of stick fighting. I was like, hey, man, that's a cool shirt. I was like, you do stick fighting? What is that? You know, this is no internet back then, bro. And I'd been a nerd about martial arts all my life. I'd never heard one bit about Filipino martial arts. And the dude's like, ah, I teach in my basement. Uh, I was like, oh, no shit. I said, wow, I used to box for the police athletically. He was like, really? I was like, yeah, I used to spar some of the best amateurs around. He was like, oh, well, man, we could use you. You want to come train with us? I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Are you kidding? <laughs> so, fuck, there I was. It was like June of, of uh, 95, 1995. And I'm jumping on my BMX bike out of the gas station and hauling ass like two towns over. 
and uh, to this guy's basement, and he's got this basement class going. It's Jeet Kune Do, and he's teaching. Uh, he's a student of like Dan and Asanto and all those dudes on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Those dudes were students of Machado. Mm-hmm. So like you know, to be a blue belt in 1995 was like the biggest thing ever. You couldn't even just to do an armbar was totally foreign. The UFC had only had UFC one. And UFC two was going to, was going to air that summer. So I'm training in this guy's basement and I'm learning how to do arm bars and uh, head and arm chokes and rear naked chokes. And uh, I'm learning how to do you know, some basic Filipino Kali. I'm learning some cool, I'm learning a lot of Muay Thai. The dude was a student. Check this out. A Phil freaking nurse. Okay. Phil nurse. And for those who are listening, Phil Nurse uh, trained one of the UFC's top fighters, okay, a guy named George St. Pierre. Your female listeners will probably be familiar with him, a uh, very handsome uh, French-Canadian, uh, but one of the greats of, of the UFC of all time. And his coach was a man named Phil Nurse. And Phil Nurse was a legend even in 1995, and he was uh, my coach's coach. So I'm down there in the basement, banging away, learning uh, a little bit of jujitsu and a little bit of Muay Thai and a little bit of stick fighting. And the next thing you know, uh, I joined the the army, I enlisted, and they gave me a return date, whatever date. My first date of the army is November 28th. And my coach was shit. He was like, that's Bruce Lee's birthday. That's such a sign. That's such a sign. I was like, like, oh, my God, yes. Like, Jeet Kune Do people are the ultimate Bruce Lee nerds yeah and, uh, my coach's name was Chris Ascari A-S-C-A-R-I and uh, a, a great dude and an awesome coach so I left the army and I had kind of switched up my fighting style at that point as a martial artist for sure I had earned my second uh, belt promotion in Muay Thai which was like an orange and white striped rope and I could definitely throw low leg kicks and even high leg kicks and uh, elbows and clinch and like real Muay Thai was what was done back then. There was none of this softened Western version. You did Thai boxing in 95 like you Thai boxed in Lumpini Stadium in Thailand. There was mm-hmm. no way around it. Um, even headbutts. We were taught how to use headbutts like that was, was awesome. And uh, that was my first exposure to jiu-jitsu. So joined the army and 10 years goes by and uh, I had gotten back into boxing after I got out of the army and I fought in the golden gloves twice, had an incredible trainer, my coach, Terry, who was like my surrogate father and uh, my best man at my wedding, but my elbows were bad. And uh, I wound up having to get elbow surgery. You might remember how I had mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yep. Well, they're better now. Um, jiu-jitsu helped that. And uh, anyways, I had to hang up the boxing gloves and I was really like a, a Ronin samurai only for about a few days before I walked into Fabio Clemente's school and started training. And once again, that perfect storm happened, Rome, that we've been talking about on this podcast. First, you know, I had the boxing coach and then I was in the army and wait, let's not even rewind to Jeet Kune Do coach in the basement and then in the army. And then I get out of the army and become a personal trainer. And begin boxing again, and I get this incredible coach, Terry Sutherland. Then I uh, start doing jujitsu, and I get this incredible coach, not just Fabio Clemente, but Marcelo Garcia. 
hello, could you have gotten any, any better as far as jujitsu coaches? You got Marcelo. I'm a human being. I'm just, I'm just blown away, man. I mean, how blessed has my life been? I'm just, I'm so lucky. I'm so great. Yeah, and Marcelo is one of the nicest guys on the planet. For those who are listening and uh, don't know who Marcelo Garcia is, they, at the time they called him the Michael Jordan of jujitsu. So you can imagine if you played basketball and you were learning from Michael Jordan. So yeah. I was a new student of jiu-jitsu and I'm showing up to no gi class with Marcelo Garcia and learning X guard and learning guillotines. Just yeah. unbelievable. Hello. So lucky. And not only was not only that, but Marcelo is the sweetest, nicest dude in the world and, uh, and represents the art of jiu-jitsu and seeing how he acted Im- impacted me. I wanted to be like this guy. He was a nice guy, wasn't he? He was sweet, but he could kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a pure savage, but literally yeah. the ni- probably the nicest guy in jiu-jitsu, like on that high level of the gods. Yeah, yeah. And, and the truth is also about the art is that there's actually a lot of great people in jiu-jitsu. And, yeah. uh, there, you know, like anything, you might have some bad, but generally speaking, the fact that we can all kick each other's ass makes everybody a lot more chill. Yeah, and, uh, it's, yeah like it's not armed, fake. Yeah, an armed society is a polite society. Well, guess what? An armbar-capable society is a polite one, too. Tell oh, you yeah. this, bro, in your years of jiu-jitsu, have you ever heard of anything getting stolen in the locker room? Not one time in my entire life never. have I ever heard of never. anything getting stolen in the they locker don't, room. There's, you don't have to bring a padlock to a jiu-jitsu school. <laughs> You know, yeah. you just leave your stuff on the ground. Cops take off their duty belt and leave their gun belt right there on the ground. Guys leaving big piles of cat. Nobody messes with it. It's just a. Generally speaking, if we don't, if we find somebody who's unpalatable, we'll send over the smallest person in the room to kick their ass. And if they yeah. show up tomorrow, they're usually better for it. And if they don't show up, we're better for it. We didn't need you anyway. That was, you my, job. That was my job for a very long time. We loved sending you and Russ over. Send Russ or Roman to kick some big assholes ass. Fuck. Horrible. Horrible. I encourage everybody here to do jujitsu or at least try it. Jujitsu is for everyone. Uh the big, the small, the little, the old, the young. And uh for most people it really helps to make them a, a better person. Smarter, better student. Honest honest i think jiu-jitsu is the most honest like jiu-jitsu and wrestling and mma i would say but definitely jiu-jitsu and wrestling uh because they have like more of an honor code it's less of a show uh i believe they're very honest uh depictions of human relationships yeah people just uh they're very nice i love i love the uh I just love the art and I love the people we do it with. And I love the, the greats of the art like Marcelo Garcia or Braulio Estima or, or just go down the list of great people who are at the highest levels of the game and are just super nice. Just really, really, really cool. And you see how these, how respected these men are and how badass they are. But you also see how big their hearts are for each other. You see it in the competitions when the matches are done. There's no bad blood generally. There's a lot, a lot of genuine love and respect for each other. Everybody's houses are wide open. I could travel the world, and you could too, and we could literally stay in different cities with different people who would be 
stoked to see you and haven't seen you in forever. And you could crash on their couch and you could do a, a, a whole tour like that. Yeah, <laughs> people 100%, do it. And they do. Right. Yeah, they the do been, yeah we call them, you call them jujitsu bums back in the day. I had a friend who had a, an air mattress. He'd lived in New York for three months and he's like bored. He'd go to DC for three months and uh, live off an air mattress and just do the jujitsu. I love it. Practice the beautiful art. All right, now I'm going to give you some, like, lightning questions, like short answer stuff. What was your first car when you were growing up? My first car that I got when I was growing up was an yeah. Amigo. was an Amigo. It's like a Jeep. Nice. It's an Isuzu Jeep, yeah. What are you driving now? A green Jeep Wrangler. Nice. All what year? It's a 97. Nice. It's nice. uh, I built a motor for it in my garage. It's got like a badass engine and big tires and lifted up and lights all over it. And the interior's done and the stereo system will cause earthquakes. It got like 1400 watts. I like to listen to music really loud. Um, yeah, that's my that's my main whip. Life's too short to drive a sensible car. If you ask me, drive what you like, you'll be dead soon enough. <laughs> I love let it. Else, let someone else drive a hatchback. <laughs> not <it>. me <laughs> what kind of house do you live in like what kind what's your housing situation uh we live in a suburban city in south carolina called malden it's uh right outside uh greenville which is a beautiful up-and-coming town my house is a triplex it's a three basically has a basement which is finished and then two floors above it i have a garage i have a nice yard um i take care of my grass i really try to have a beautiful front yard uh my neighbors are all old and retired so their yards are really nice i uh, try to keep up <laughs> that's how i'm living now no more in new york city i, I had a 200 square foot apartment um how much know, were you paying for that and it was a good deal i was paying 1500 dollars. wow that's a steal that's in new york bro a steal yeah for the lower east side living right in manhattan oh yeah and it was nice. It had just been renovated, but it was 200 square feet. I could touch the walls with my fingers at the same time. It was oh. only as wide as I was, which was like, I have like a seven foot reach or some kind of monkey uh, boxer level. <laughs> yeah, arms. you have really long arms. Yeah, so that, that worked good for boxing and jujitsu. Jujitsu is for everybody type. You know, if you've got yeah. long arms or short arms, you make it work. I always talk about you, Rome, how you had the best guillotine ever. People think, oh, you got to have long arms for a guillotine. I was like, bullshit. I said, my friend Romo will tie you in a guillotine better than anyone. <laughs> on big dudes you used to pull it off onto. I still do, bro. Yeah. Still do. Guillotines and footlocks. Back takes. Yeah. Straight footlocks. Oh, man. Straight twisting. I got all of them now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you live on land? Yeah. How 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 much land do you live on? Because I oh, this is just like uh, three quarters of an acre or something, half an acre. Yeah, small. Nice. So suburbs. Small, small is all relative, right? What's that? Small is relative. Uh, in New York, it was two hundred square feet. So this is fucking enormous. Yeah, I got a front yard. I got a big backyard. It's it's big enough, but I don't have like a hundred acres or ten acres or something. That's you know, that's coming down the road. You I know, this is it. just a, a starter house and uh, I'm looking to, you know, move somewhere where I get a lot of land and, you know, I can do more of my my life as I want to live it more naturally. For sure. So you're a bit of an entrepreneur. What, what are some of the projects that like you you're into right now? 
Uh, basically, uh, I own a gym in uh, Malden, South Carolina called High Performance Gym, shameless plug. Uh, you can check us out on- Yeah, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll give them the link. Cool, and uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, check us out on Instagram as well. Uh, I do two things. I teach uh, strength and conditioning, and I teach jujitsu. Um, of course, uh, that ties in. I'll get uh, a lot of work as a personal trainer as well, and also just as a private uh, self-defense teacher, um, teaching boxing also. Um, but yeah, I'm a gym owner and uh, a father. So those are my big projects. <laughs> I love it. Those are amazing projects, bro. Yeah, man. Amazing I love going to the gym. The gym is beautiful. And uh, it just, you know, we're, we're, we're thriving now despite this uh, COVID-19 and all the bullshit going on. We're doing very well. And uh, I've never actually done better since I've moved to South Carolina. The gym's got the most momentum I think it's had forever. So continually packed classes and uh, I'm filling up myself with, personal training clients left and right so you know just i struggled hard to get to this point but i'm finally through that and it feels good feels real good for sure what time do you go to bed uh 9 30 what time do you wake up 4 30 or 5 nice what's your food intake look like like what kind of diet do you eat um i eat uh very uh pretty much a I guess you would say it's a moderately high protein diet. Um, most of my protein, uh, my, my red meat comes from venison. I eat very little store-bought red meat. Uh, most of it comes from uh, deer that I shoot as a hunter. Um, so there's that. That's kind of a good thing in my diet. I've got a garden in the backyard. I grow a lot of herbs. I have friends that grow, have gardens. Um, I grow tomatoes, I got beets, I grow carrots, I got potatoes. Um, I started doing all of that this year. Um, also, if I eat fish, I usually catch it that day. So I'll go up into the mountains into some beautiful remote streams and uh, trout fish. And my policy is if, uh, if I can release it and it will live, that I will release it. But if it caught the hook too deep, trout are beautiful fish, but they're very fragile. If the trout's wounded to the point that it's gonna die, yeah, put it on the stringer and take it home. So that, you know, I eat a few of those, you know, in the summertime and a uh, few of those a month, maybe not too much. Uh, diet, I eat a lot of vegetables and fruit and drink a lot of water, only filtered water. Um, what else? That's about it. Um, very, pa very paleo. Yeah, pretty paleo pretty much a paleo diet is what you'd call it. And it's just, uh, I don't, you know, run from bread like some paleo people do, but I also don't overeat bread to the point that I need to be concerned with it. I have a very, very active lifestyle and I need to support that with uh, nutritious, uh, filling, nutrient-dense foods. If the calories are too empty, I'm just going to keep having to go back and forth with the fridge all day. And that's something that people need to think about when they're eating and they're dieting is, you know, the more nutrients that are in the food you're eating, the less you're going to have, you know, cravings and things like that. Oftentimes cravings are the result of a poor diet, you know, a diet that's lacking in vitamins and minerals that you need. So for sure, almost a poor yeah. life. Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. It's not just the food cravings. It's the TV cravings, the Instagram cravings. Yeah. It's instant gratification. Yeah. You know, people don't realize you, you don't have to like everything you eat. You know what I mean? You don't have to like everything you eat. It just doesn't have to yeah. taste like dessert. Fuck it. Just eat. You don't like broccoli too bad. It's not a bad taste. It's not like you're eating dirt. 
chew it up and swallow it. Bro, I tell people, like, I tell people this all the time. I'm like, bro, if they told me that I had to eat dirt or I had to eat shit and it was proven that it was going to level me up, like step, pile that shit on. Uh-huh. I want to talk, I want to talk about like that sort of mindset when I was boxing, uh, Rome, particularly, uh, and when I was out of the military in my twenties and boxing as an amateur in, the, in, New, in New York, uh, training with Terry, I was full till you want to talk about it. So you had to eat five pounds of shit to gain 10 pounds of muscle. You do it. I mean, no, no question. I had so much dedication to it back then. And, uh, yeah. I mean, I was, the, boxing consumed me 100% for many years. And uh, I just was, I was a fighter. That was it. Yeah. If I wasn't training for a fight, I was, you know, getting drunk and partying and getting ready to come off of that cycle to get back into the mode where it was no sex, no hugging, no kissing. This is Terry's quote, no sex, no hugging, no kissing, no goddamn panties. You keep the fucking girls away. And like... We have to shut that off, dude. You'd be two months out from a fight and, you know, hardcore, you know, yeah. I fought the 178 pound weight class and that's very light for me. I was super skinny. I had to run. I used to uh, go over the Brooklyn bridge in the winter time when it was five degrees, it, literally the coldest days in New York city's history of those years. And I know for a fact, I went out running just for the sole fact that my opponent wasn't going to do it. Yeah, I knew he wasn't going to do it, and that's why I did it. It would help me be a better fighter. I remember before fights coming up, you get so nerve rattled, like in your head, thinking things over, thinking things, overthinking things. I thought that my mattress was too much of a luxury, and I slept on my hardwood floor. I fucking love it. Yeah, <laughs> on one of my teachers. Blade. Yeah, because it's harder. It's tougher. It's going to be. That's going to give me that that point two five percent edge that's going to win the fight for me. A hundred. I mean, it's definitely possible. One of my teachers says hard floors make soft bodies, soft, like soft coatings make very stiff bodies. Yeah. So it's that you that you were definitely onto something. And you know what? Um, something that I've been studying for the last seven years is like Taoism and Tantra and they, they, uh, conserve their semen. They don't ejaculate, but they still have orgasms. And what they do is they cultivate that energy. So, like, the boxing instructors knew there was something there. They just couldn't describe what or how it was. But there's yes. definitely a science to it. A hundred percent. Yeah, abstaining from, from sex. Yeah, from ejaculation. Well, abstaining from any kind of, just, just from the distraction of women also, is, uh, is a huge thing for fighters. And yeah. uh, I, there, there would be some... some some uh, mess ups on my part and I would definitely feel it the next day when I'd spar, when I get in the ring and somebody be trying to take my head off. If you had, uh, had the company of a woman the night before you would be in a bad way getting your ass kicked. So not a good thing. I mean, not even, I mean, just the company of a woman that, that alone would soften you up. You couldn't yeah. do it. Nope, yeah, not, not very Spartan. Not very Spartan. No women. They ruined legs. Wait till the fight's over. Do whatever you want. <laughs> True. True. Yep. All right. So I have some lightning questions for you. Okay. Uh, if if you were able to change one or transform one thing in the world, what would it be? Man, that's a hard thing, dude. 
it's yeah. a very hard thing to ask somebody like me, man, because there's just so much about the world that you you know, if you could do one thing, what would it be? I just want one to thing. get people more connected with nature. Wow. I think a, a stronger, deeper connection to nature is uh is most needed in this world. Um when you when someone I don't know, just as a bow hunter, someone who's become a bow hunter in the last eight years, um, there's just something very natural and primal about being in the woods and pursuing game. I don't know how else to say it. It'd be like if you went and bought a hound dog and you took the hound dog in the woods and let him run after deer. Guess what? Your ancestors ran after deer literally for hundreds of thousands of years okay human beings are 100 200,000 200,000 years old they say and we've been chasing deer with a stick and a string and, a, and an arrow for a long long time and when you start doing that you connect with nature if i could change anything i would want people to have that same love and appreciation for the earth that uh, i do as a hunter as a I fisherman yeah. I don't think people really understand that. Like you get this like anti-hunting thing. They don't realize like hunters are the one that want nature literally not just safe. They want it pristine, you know, in order yeah. to shoot a big deer, you can't just promote one species. Oh, I'm just going to make sure that the big deer are big in this woods. It's like, no, in order to have that big deer, the hawks, the coyotes, the armadillos, the snakes, the turtles, the streams, the rivers, the trees, everything has to be in place that creates that big deer. And it all has to be perfect and literally better than perfect because it's almost the level that they want to get to with the, you know, just in deer hunting, whether it's private land or state run public land. Um, it really helps nature a lot hunting. And I don't think people understand that even overseas I've hunted in Africa, you know, not elephants and tigers, like, you know, antelope like that and uh, because of hunting even in africa you get so much natural land that's preserved and it's not preserved to be a campground for you know five-year-olds it's preserved to be perfect and pristine and when you get time to be in pristine nature it's different dude it's different people don't get that chance and it's a real loss yeah and hunting you not just see the woods and the rocks and the lakes you have to get yourself camouflaged and sit so still and climb up a tree 30 feet and have the wind in your face and do all of the homework and have all this unbelievable skill set to get to where the deer are. And then you have to have it to where you're so good, the deer will walk near you. And then you have to be so good that you can draw your bow back without them seeing it and shoot them. And you're talking about an animal whose eyeballs are on the side of its head and practically halfway hanging out. You got to think about their eyesight, how good it is. And their nose is so huge and powerful. And you have to sit so still and motionless that you not only get to see occasionally, if you're lucky, a deer, but you'll also see other animals walk by. Um, I've seen everything from a box turtle climb out from under a log and walk around on the ground in front of me all morning, which I thought was wonderful. But I've also seen a spotted fawn walk through the woods in the morning, make a bed right in front of me in the sunlight, like right where the sun was coming through the trees and it was lighting up his like brown fur in his spots. And he just sat there and took a nap 
and I almost could have spit on him. He was so close. And I just sat there and watched a fawn take a nap and hoped that Big Daddy would come through, but he never did. And that was beautiful. And that was incredible and epic. Another time I was hunting uh, Rome on Creek Indian land, the Creek Indian tribe in Alabama. Used to have some hunting land there, of course. And I was hunting on land that's littered with arrowheads from them. And uh, burial mounds are nearby. And you're hunting in a a holler, so to speak, you know, a valley and these oak trees that are hundreds of years old. And there's no question that the Creek Indians hunted these oak trees as well. And, uh, you know, you might even be sitting in a tree that they sat in, or you just can't help but feel that connection. I mean, it's like six o'clock in the morning and the sun's coming through those trees and there's, you know, that Spanish moss is hanging down and, and, you know, it's just jaw droppingly gorgeous just dripping with beauty and you're just you're so you feel the sun coming through and you're freezing cold and you see that little ray of light start to work its way across your frozen body and it starts beaming right on your face and you close your eyes and you're just so grateful to feel that warmth on your face because you're so cold and you're so grateful to be able to sit there and suffer and in this beautiful, pristine wilderness that doesn't have houses on it, that doesn't have a farm field on it. It's preserved just for deer hunting. Wow. And on this trip, I'm, you know, I'm up there and these deer are walking around underneath me and uh, that's shameful. I shot all my arrows. <laughs> it was the worst thing ever. I was a young new hunter and uh, I didn't bring my range finder. I didn't know how far away these deer were because this is Alabama. There's a lot of deer and was lucky enough to shoot at them and not a lot only see them and one arrow missed two three four arrows miss and on the last arrow Rome um this deer was walking underneath me and I couldn't believe I just I was so ashamed my mind was racing I was mind fucking myself I draw the bow back and I'm shooting a beer can at 30 yards at home and I can't hit a giant miniature horse at 10 yards so I draw back on this one with my last arrow and I'm following him as he's walking and I've got my string pulled back all the way to my cheek and I'm following up with that arrow and I release it and boom, it goes into a tree right in front of me. <laughs> the arrow is stuck halfway through the tree. It looks like a cowboy movie. The deer doesn't even run off far. He looks up at me like, you are the biggest piece of shit ever. Oh my God, that's all you shoot at my friends too. <laughs> and I close my eyes and I sit back down on the chair and I'm like, man, that is shameful. I literally... This has never happened. And I'm like, close my eyes, Rome, and I open them up. And I'm staring at a red tailed hawk five feet in front of my face on the closest branch. It landed and it's looking at me in the fucking eyes. And it winks its eyes, it closes its eyes. And I reach for my phone and it disappears like a magic trick. And I'm sitting in this beautiful, beautiful, preserved, Indian hunting land. And I want to ask you and your viewers, have you ever heard of anyone have a red tail hawk land right in front of them and look at them for four or five seconds and then fly off? And it has never happened. It's just uh no, beautiful to share that, that. I think that you were the one that needed to have it because the red tail hawk needed to remind you that there was nothing to be ashamed about and there was everything to be grateful about in that oh, specific yeah. moment and that you were good enough and that you were worthy and that you were fucking powerful and that you get to try again. 
Yeah, he day. wanted. To, I think. I think the hawk was like, "Oh, having a tough day hunting." Those are, those are same for me six days a week. Yeah, you know, I miss all the time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. If it you was, were, it was food, deep as hell. If you were a food, what food would you be? Mm. Like a type of food or a specific dish. What dish would you be? I would be venison tenderloin, uh, marinated cut into quarter inch medallions with a blob of French goat cheese in the middle and a sliver of jalapeno. And you fold that up and you put a toothpick through it and you cook it on a grill for like two minutes. And then you pull it off the toothpick and eat it and take a slug of a delicious beer. And that's wow. the greatest food in the world. So I'd want to be that. Wow. <laughs> I, I, and now I, your I, viewers who made it this far just got a venison recipe. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Even the vegans. Yeah, I'd be venison. I would be natural. I would be strong. I would be low in fat. I would be fast twitch muscle fiber. I would be organic and I would be good for you. That'd be my food, venison. If you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? I'd be a wolf. That's yeah. kind of a cliche answer, but you can't help but love wolves. That's my spirit animal, bro. For sure. I might not even be a pack wolf. I might even just be a true lone wolf, which is a hard existence for wolves. But, you know, some aspects of their being I don't like. But uh, I love that they're wild. I love yeah. that they live life on their terms. Yeah. If you, were a car, if you were a car, what car would you be? Jeep Wrangler. Easy, huh? <laughs> easy, dude. Easy for sure. What's your Enneagram yeah. number? Excuse me? What's your Enneagram number? Have you ever heard of that test, the Enneagram? No, sir. I don't know what it is. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you if you're interested. It's, uh, it's like an ancient personality test that okay. supposedly they've been using since the Egyptians and the Babylonian, ancient Koreans. Wow. Uh, now, like the, the, some sort of like uh, Christian uh, sect uses it and some Buddhist sect uses it. Uh, Interesting. And I've heard about I've it. heard of this. Yeah, it's, it's very deep work and it shows... It, it shows some very interesting revelations about like, oh, that's why my life was the way it was. So it can create this thing. Um, and they say there's only nine numbers, like nine types of archetypes of these people. And then they're mixed. So it's like nine times nine times nine. Like there, there could be a multitude of variations. But anyway, I'll send it to you. All right. You're dying. You are dying and you can only eat one last meal what would it be would it be the same meal as the meal that you would be no it wouldn't okay it would be uh, a meal in tuscany that i had um it's tuscan wild boar it's called chingale and it's served uh with this brown sauce and uh it's it's this incredible italian version of roasted uh wild boar wow. and uh it's the greatest food i've ever eaten in my life but wow. you can only get it in Italy. I don't know how they could make it here because the hogs in Tuscany, you have to imagine, are raiding these farm fields full of uh, grapes, you know, vineyards and tomatoes. And <laughs> these are the best fed wild hogs ever. So when you kill them and eat them, they are fantastic. That would I be my it. last meal. Yes, sir. La uh, last piece. Well, one piece of advice that you would give the next generation. Do not overlook the wisdom of the elders. You wow. might be the you might you might make the biggest mistake ever in being a society that all of a sudden disregarded what the elders had to say 
about things. So respect it. your elders. Your last name is more important than your first name. And, uh, you know, try to try to make a strong family. You know, that's that's what that comes down to. A lot of times people nowadays are getting away from that. And I think you need to get more into it. You need to accept your family as having faults and just be proud of it for whatever it is. Be proud of whatever you are. And uh, that your your elders are who you are. That's where you came from. So when you disregard your elders, you're telling me you don't even respect yourself. You don't respect your own blood. I love it. Yeah. Uh, one sentence or one word or how, few words on your tombstone. On my what? On your tombstone, if you don't get burnt. I don't know. I have no idea what I'd want on my tombstone. You know? I don't husband, know. It might be good. Father, veteran, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's it. Yeah. I love it. All right. Last question. Your last experience. So who would you do it with? What would you do? It could be as long as you want. It could be as short as you want. That's a good one. I don't know, man. My last experience. It would be fun to have some kind of big party type thing where you you know, maybe rented a yacht and drove your friends over to Italy and partied for two weeks. <laughs> I'd love that. I love it. I, or, you know, a, a yacht or a, or a private jet, and to, you know, take, take your friends out to share them some of the things uh, that you've gotten to see and do that they maybe have not. You know, I've gotten to go overseas a lot, see a lot of Europe, beautiful things like that. So if I had the chance to share that. I love it. All right, bro. I appreciate you deeply. Thank you for coming on. Is there anything uh, that you would like to tell the listeners? Is there anywhere where they can find you? Uh, is there any parting message that you would like to leave? Yeah, I just want to say, uh, you know, people who are uh, struggling and looking to grow as a person, um, give yourself some credit. I think a lot of people, they don't give themselves enough credit. Um, you're constantly comparing yourselves to others and everything else. And sometimes you just got to say, say an instance for a gym, like you, you went to the gym and you had a shitty workout and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know what? You made it to the gym. A lot of people wouldn't have even made it today. And yet there you were trudging away, doing already something that most people wouldn't, but yet you had the discipline to get there. Start being more of your own biggest fan you're going to hear enough negative talk towards you from other shitheads in this world people that are low class and they're going to ridicule you and beat you down and you don't need to be doing that you need to be your own biggest cheerleader because nobody else is going to fucking do it maybe your mom will but but you need to start being your own biggest cheerleader you know pat yourself on the back for the things you do, whether it's taking vitamins or drinking a glass of water or whatever little step you do, have a little pride in that. They're all little steps on your journey and they'll get you there one piece at a time. You can catch me on Instagram, uh, Clay HPG, and you can see my gym on Instagram at High Performance Gym. If you'd like to see more about my bio and what I've done, you can see my uh, gym's website, highperformancegym.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page, but we're not on it very often. Uh, thank you so much, Rome, for even just asking me to be on your show. It's a real honor. Um, it's an honor to be your friend. I'm proud to be your friend. I talk about you highly all the time. And 
when you called me and told asked me if I'd be on your podcast, it took me like two seconds to say yes, of course. Um, you're a strong man, you're a good man, and uh, you want to do good things in the world, and I support you 100%. And you, uh, I miss you, and I uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, I think so too. I'm going on the road soon, so it's definitely possible. That'd Love you, awesome, bro. Man. And uh, have a beautiful night. Give your kids and your wife a big hug and kiss from me. And uh, let's talk soon, brother. Thank you. You got it, Rome. Take care, guy.